Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Lend me your ears. For tonight, or today, we have... Or this afternoon. You don't want to bother them, do you? Audio for your ears. Yeah. 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 It's here. It's podcast. We're back. Loud. And clear. In stereo. Oh, yes. Well, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And once again, in the in the Grumps Bar this evening, we have Wayne. Hi. Louis, and again, a special guest, we have John. Unfortunately, he's not going to stop stopping long. See you, John. Oh. See you, John. <laughs> Thanks for coming, mate. Bye. No, it's nice to have you here again, John. Second week on a run. You liked it that much. He insisted on coming back. Tonight, we're just going to ramble again, and it'll go where it'll go. Uh, has anybody got any news? Well, that was as exciting, wasn't it? It'll go where it will go. Yeah, well, it will go where it will go. I have some news. Ooh, what is your that? news, sir? I think it potentially, I think it's bad news. Oh. But there will be a lot of folk out there that think it's good news. Noel Gallagher has reached out, metaphorically, to his brother and said, give me a call. Yes, he has, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. And we can put the man back together. Well, when you said reached out, he was asked a question and he said, give me a call. I personally think it's catastrophic. I think it's almost as bad as the first act that uh, our new king did. He gets on throne and immediately gets take that back together. So, I mean, <laughs> God of both. The artist formerly known as Prince, you mean? Yes. <laughs> but there are a lot of be a lot of folk out there that think Oasis getting back together is wonderful. But isn't it, yeah, isn't it. that period in time done? Hopefully, no. Isn't it done? With? I mean, you could say that we we are we're open. No, we're open. I'm hoping it's done. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All of these bands. Like I think it's fair to say that they're a legendary band. Uh, all of these bands, at some point, they split up and they get back together. Yeah. And they were always destined to get back together. S-Club, it was yeah, almost a- S Club Seven has done it. Haven't they? Well, yeah, but apparently it, Liam has accused Noel of doing too much damage to the Oasis name stroke brand. He says for, it, ever, take for it, it ever to work again. Nah, he'll take it back. Nah, I think he, if somebody dangled some greenbacks in front oh, of him. Yeah. Didn't Liam have a grudge against Noel for something to do with the bombing in Manchester? Uh, one of them did a, a concert in aid of it and the other ones was, or, or as he put it, while I was out getting money for charity, you were sat on your in your dinghy sh- uh, sipping champagne. Yeah, he made a pop at Noel for that. But was it Liam against Noel? Or yeah, but I right? think Liam did the concert, didn't he? Liam did the concert. What it Noel, Liam? Noel did. Yeah. Well, he said that Noel was just sat in his dinghy supping champagne. But the reason why they split up, apart from there's a few reasons, but the main reason that seems to have come to light is that Liam said something about the legitimacy of his children. Yeah, he did. Yeah, so, it's not going to go down well, is it? Not going to go down well. Well, you, sh- you, you shouldn't go down that road, should you? you no. Don't fetch kids. I mean, at the end of the day, it's his bloody uncle and all for a start. Siblings yeah. yeah. have a. Through his, throughout history in bands, siblings have a, a a history of not getting along too well. Yeah, look at the Davis brothers in the Kings. They don't Famous like it, weren't they? I mean, two. I once watched a documentary about uh, UB40, and the two Campbell brothers despise each other mm. with an absolute passion. I thought I'd never see a, a hatred bigger than the Gallagher's, but these two lads, God, they hate each other. Are they still because they do? They still tour now, but are they touring still touring together? No, no. Or no, is they, they, not, can't, they the can't stand sight of each other? Right. Okay. So I, I know they're still at it, aren't they? Well, you'll be forty. Certainly, one version is. I don't know whether there's two versions. Maybe. I like it when they split off into separate bands. I mean, 
One of the most famous ones from round here is Saxon. <laughs> and is, that Saxon? Biff, is that Biff with his whistling teeth or yeah. singing teeth? Well, it reminds me of that story that we got told. Well, you got told and passed it on to me years and years and years ago. And I've always wished it were true. I've always hoped it were true, should I say. And, and I heard a story told by a, a journalist that was on tour with Saxon. They were going across Spain. And he was in the tour bus with this with the uh, support band, and the support band was um, uh, Dominique, uh, a, f a female singer of the early eighties. Um, she was from Hull. I can't remember her first name now. From Hull. Yeah. What is she called? What do they call? I'm very Hullish. Well, she, well, she weren't very. That weren't a real name. Oh, well, made up name. Oh yes, yes. Uh, she was called. Um, Anyway, Dominique or something Dominique. Anyway, they were touring across Spain and they were finishing up, I think it was in Barcelona or something like that. And as this tour got underway, she she started and she refused to eat the local food. She was being very hullish and saying, I'm not eating that book. An egg. I'm not eating that book. I'm gonna eat English food. So she continued to do that. Consequently, she got very ill. Very ill indeed culminating that the final gig, this journalist has stood at edge of stage watching this final dig, and she's on stage doing the support act for Saxon. And he said, I could see that she weren't very well. She's, she's white, she's sweating, and she's, she, looks at, she looks to, this, to the audience. She looks to the audience. She looks to the side, side of the stage, and there's a table with a glass of water. And she runs and she looks at this glass, and she keeps singing and looks at the glass. Eventually, she makes a dive for this glass. And she drinks the water inside this glass, which is not a good idea in Spain anyway at that time. But unfortunately, Biff Byford's teeth was in it. Oh. <laughs> because Biff Byford was famous for having two sets of teeth. His talking teeth and his singing teeth. Singing teeth. Yeah. Lisa Dominique, that was the name. I've just remembered. It's just come back to me. Lisa Dominique. Yeah, so she she drunk. Well, I don't know whether she actually swallowed them, but she's... She drunk Biff Byford's singing teeth. I mean, regardless of whether she swallowed his teeth or not, uh, she she swallowed the fermented juice from his teeth. Yeah, and we were t we were told this story uh, that that, that, Byford, his teeth? that Byford had got singing teeth. teeth well, it, I think it comes to light on the uh, documentary that uh, Harvey Goldsmith did, where they were at, their career were at a bit of a they were bottoming out, and they'd asked Harvey Goldsmith to try and resurrect him. Right. So he. It, you know what Harvey Gold, we all know what Harvey Goldsmith's like, big and brash, and right, I'll give it a go. And I think there was some suggestion in that documentary, I think you can find it in YouTube, that Biff has got stringing teeth, stringing teeth and talking teeth. Who would it have told us that story? I don't know. I'm not familiar with that story. You are familiar with that story. Well, at this moment in time, I'm not. All right. It, I think you are familiar with it. I may have been when I told it you, if I when, told you. When I, could, I think you told me that as well. There's a disclaimer. Let's Google it. I think it goes back to the, the gig in Clifton Park and they've got a mobile... Um, Sound unit fella who were doing all sound for it. Oh, Dave Nut Brown. Uh, yes, it was Dave Nut Brown that told you. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. It's all coming back to now. And it's all coming back to me now. That went yeah, I don't know whether Meatloaf had two sets of teeth. I just want you to appreciate the, the, the timing on that. It was quick as anything. What were? And it's all coming back. Yeah, we're good. It was almost rehearsed, weren't it? It was almost staged. The timing were good, but the delivery were crap. Rude. 
So I was reading this week that the UK music industry has asked for help and action from the government as they are due to lose 69,000 jobs due to COVID. That works out as one third of the music industry will be unemployed. Well, the, the government told them to retrain. They said anyone in creative arts, oh, uh, sorry, COVID's here, so you might as well retrain to be a plumber. So now they want... No, but 69,000 jobs could be lost. That's a lot of jobs, that, isn't it? In one industry. Well, this takes us back to... A uh, massive amount of people. Uh, another subject that's going to rear its head, I think, on a regular basis. If AI takes a hold, that 69,000 yeah. is going to we'll be a drop in the ocean. <laughs> yeah. There'll be a lot more than 69,000 jobs. If and that's not that's just in the music out. industry. I think that's going to be... But like possible. with anything, though, um, they said this about the internet, didn't they? And they said this about the death of the high street because of the internet. But what new technologies tend to do, and hopefully AI will do, it will give a new format of jobs to people. It will help in other areas. I worry about that. but uh, We don't know. That's the thing. We that's don't it. know. There's no answer to it. There's nobody going to come up with a, 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 a positive sentence. That's going to make... I think it's one of them that we've just got to wait and see on this. Because yeah, we don't know. We can speculate, speculate about this forever until we get into it. We don't know, do we? We, we could talk forever. I'm going to make a prediction. Go on then. I predict um, that... That Manuel beat Chelsea 4-0. Exactly. 4-1. That night. and there will be a universal income due to AI. Within the next 10 just, years. Just within the next 10 years? As quick as that? Yeah. I know there's been talk about this for a number of years, but I didn't think it would come in. I don't think it's going to come in that Remember, quick. it's been on trial in small processes since the 60s. What? what do you mean it never worked, though, universal income? So everyone gets a flat wage. And Mine's very flat every week. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> everyone gets a flat wage, but it allows people to, to do things more relative to what they're interested in. So at some point... In the no, not so distant future, it will not be what do you do, it will be what do you enjoy doing. It sounds like China. What do you, Not what you do, what do you no. enjoy doing. You can't answer that question. Why? It's illegal. You can't. <laughs> so, has, has any of you guys ever heard of a band called Choke? <laughs> Choke? That's hiding very well, isn't it? Choke. Choke. Um, I can't say as I have. No. No. Right, so this band called Choke was three 16-year-old girls and they used to play in nightclubs in Philadelphia. And they had a, um, they sent a demo off to a record label in Atlanta and they um, said, if you lose the other two, we can possibly do something with you. Um, and she was only a backing singer, but the backing singer were actually pink. Oh. So she got rid of her two mates, went solo, and in uh, a first album, which is Can't Take Me Home in year 2000, went double platinum. Oh, and that's how she... And her first band was called Choke, and she was a backing singer for Choke. Do you know why she's called Pink? I don't know if I've said this before on the podcast. Do you know why she's called Alicia? Is that a name? Yeah. Yes. Oh, I don't. Yeah. I'm not going to venture a guess as to the surname because I got it wrong last time. Yes. <laughs> Good, will tell you. Uh, would it be because her mother named her that? Well, Alicia Pink. Is that, well, Pink's not a surname, is it? No, but Alicia's oh. her first name. I don't know. I just know her as Pink. Do you know who she's married to? Uh, no. 
Going on that then, are you Should telling be. me that John Five's not his real name? <laughs> Wait, but do you know why she's called Pink? What happened no. to John Four, Three, Two, and One? It's, They're his brothers. It's because she, she was a big fan of um, Reservoir Dogs, and her favourite character was Mr. Pink. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. And she's she bumped into the I can't remember the actor's name now. She's like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a, no, that's the director. That's happened a few times, though, I would imagine. Oh, yeah, it does, yeah. They spot the talent and the other two yeah. or three or four or whatever. But no, but she sort of as a backing singer. It's easy to mark a more than it is a group, isn't it? Yeah, sort of as a backing singer with a band called Choke. No, never heard of them. Speaking yeah. of backing singers, um, can uh, you tell me who was the backing singers for Elton John's song, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? The two famous backing singers. Can You Feel the Love Tonight? I can't. I can't bring that song to mind. Can you feel love tonight? Do you no favours at all? Well, that I thought that was. Well, that off a Disney film. Yes, yes. Lion King, I believe. I oh, know. so it did do you some favours. Go out with that one. It was the title that did me favours. I thought it was Luther Vandross you were doing. Really? Do you know the backing singers? Do you know the backing singers for that song? No, I don't. Sorry. Right. I'm going to tell you. Go on then. Pray tell. Gary Barlow and Rick Astley. Good old. Way. Telling you. They were the backing really? singers, yeah. Really? Yeah. Gary Barlow. And Rick Astley were on that song. Okay. Fair enough. I'm not going to say really? Well, you said really twice. I was just surprised. Very speculatively. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect it. No one does. No. So, has anybody heard of a the bat or the group called the comedy... The comedy Poetry group. No. No? They're from Liverpool. Tell me, you used to be Beatles? No? No, no, no. Jerry and the Pacemakers? And then then they went to the uh, Scaffold. Scaffold? Oh, they ended up oh, with yeah, the, yeah, yeah, we've heard it Scaffold. You've heard it Scaffold? Yeah. Yeah, we're close because uh, Paul what? McCartney's brother, yeah. Mike McGear, was in the Scaffold. Right, so who was one of the backing singers? Paul McCartney? No. Nope. John Lennon? I'll give you a clue. He played piano for Ollie's. Oh, God almighty. <laughs> Nigel. Tufnell. Tufnell. No, don't know. Elton John. He you can, played. You, you can... No, no, no. I don't, I'm not <laughs> doubting you, Wayne. But this comes back to that these people that were session musicians before they were stars. Yes. Yeah. And it's quite often the case that yeah. you get all these people that you didn't realise that they did this, they did that. But there's a lot of them that are very much like raised eyebrows, aren't they? Like, what? Yeah. Because of who they are. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought Elton John would have been a backing singer. He had to start somewhere. And that a comedy and poetry group in Liverpool. And then, he, um, I mean, at the end of the day, Elton John's Elton John. You you don't expect... Reginald White. From a, but you don't expect him coming from a background like that, do you? Well, but a lot of our most, a lot of our musicians oh, yeah, the that, that we hold in yeah. high esteem that have gone on to become global superstars all started out mm. in yeah. uh, the world of sessions. But I think you forget I, that, don't I you? I always think that these are the unsung heroes. You know, some of the names that we're going to mention here, they're obviously not unsung. But this session world still goes on. Oh, yeah, yeah. But you just forget, don't you? you Elton forget, John, dotted out second somewhere. musician, Rick Wakeman, session musician, Jimmy Page, session musician, one John the, Paul Jones. One of the most busy session musicians. Yes, he, uh, he were under tutelage of a guy called Big Jim Sullivan. Mm. If if there were a session to be done, 
in London back in the day were had a big gym, uh, Jimmy Page or a guy called Chris Spedding. Yeah, that yeah. we all know. Would it would it between sixty six and sixty eight that Jimmy Page played on sixty five percent of all top ten hits? Oh, he's a busy boy, wasn't he? He yeah, well, was very busy. Yeah, yeah. He that, that is some record. Yeah. That. I think the only one that probably comes close to him is Steve Lukather. Well, Steve Lukather, obviously, is the probably uh, our most recognisable session guy. Yeah. But he's played on over 1,500 albums. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of these will be number one albums. We know most of them. Uh, obviously, all the Michael Jackson stuff, pre-Toto, when they were... Uh, Quincy Jones is what he called the house band. Yeah. You've got Steve Lucas, you've got uh, David Page. And he never gets Jeff enough credit for them albums, does he? Because everybody talks about Eddie doing that solo. They never talk about the rest of the album that were done by Steve Lucas. Well, all the album, the Thriller album, which went on to be, I'm not sure whether it still holds that record, but it went on to be the biggest selling album of all time. Yeah. Not sure whether it's still there. I, I think it probably does. But the house band was... Lukather, Jeff Pecoro, Steve Pecoro, David Page, which are all Toto. Yeah. So, and they went on to well, form their own band. Who, who's the drummer called from Toto? Uh, Jeff Pecoro. He wrote the song Human Nature. Human Nature, yeah. And it was on a cassette and he, he switched it through on one of these cassettes what again sent through back and forth to Quincy Jones. And he wrote this song and he was like, I'm, I'm going to sneak it into what was getting sh uh, shoved over to Quincy Jones for this Michael Jackson, Jackson album. And do we know what the song A Human Nature is about? Human Nature? It was about, he was li his little girl was complaining that she was getting picked on by this kid in school. He was like pushing her. And he was like, trying to explain to her that it's human nature because it's actually that he fancies her. And he wrote this song called Human Nature uh, on a keyboard and then sent it over yeah. to Quincy Jones and Michael Jackson liked it and it became a big hit. It's about his little girl getting bullied because this well, kid fancies cool. it, and it's that's human nature. Another one from Michael Jackson's uh, backing singers was Sheryl Crow, yeah, and she were also and Eddie Clapton. Tina Turner. Oh, she used to be a bit more. She uh, she was a bit more than a backing she, singer. She was what's known as a squeeze. They dated. She were also Stevie Wonder, uh, Bob Dylan, Tina Turner, Busy Girl, and Dan Anley. Wow. She backing tracked for us. Oh, but if you go back for those people, I've always said that the. Uh, and I'm particularly interested in this with these session players. If we go back to the 50s and 60s, there was a bunch of uh, gangs, if you like. There was the Memphis Boys that did all the Memphis tracks that came out of Memphis. The Funk Brothers that did all the tracks that came out of Philadelphia. The Wrecking Crew, They're which, famous, are, huh? which are legendary, oh, that did everything that came out of L.A. Mm. The Nashville A-Team and one of the bands that were... I think these did uh, all the stack stuff. Booker T and the MGs. Mm. So we, I mean, we've all heard of them. But they were actually started life out as a bunch of backing. It's like Glenn Campbell. He won at Wrecking Crew, wasn't he? Glenn Campbell at Wrecking Crew, yeah. yeah. Carol Kay, who won at Wrecking Crew. Bass player. The lady that played bass. Yeah. It's it's uh, reputed that she's played on 10,000. Yeah. Right. She's the most wow. prolific bass player, isn't she? Wow. Over a period of 65 years. <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. I mean, everybody thinks uh, a, a rock and roll or a music career is 20, 30 years or whatever. This this girl's been playing for 65 years and 10,000 tracks. That's a lot of tracks. Look, that's, that's good for any musician, but she doesn't get enough credit because it was a female musician. Yeah. 
Let's see with a female in a, a male-dominated male, world. Yeah, yeah. And especially in Muscle Shoals gang, because they, they, they're just like their own crew, didn't they? Yeah. And then Glenn Campbell being one of them. But she's they legendary. Were, they were a bit of a rotating sort of members of cast, weren't they? Well, yeah. But it was, it was, well, they're all so famous now, but one, they all, not all of them, but a handful only spiralled off and went into solo careers and made it famous. But there were, there were so much in demand. They did thousands and thousands of tracks that we never know about. And they don't, I mean, they'll get a appearance credit on, on the album or the single or whatever. They don't get any, you know, once they've been paid in full. They get, they get a rate, hourly rate. They get, uh, you can either be paid either per track or as a block of hours. Right, like a union rate so thing, isn't it? They get paid by union. Yeah. They have to put like a, almost like a, a chitty in the end of month to be yeah. paid by union. And this still exists now. Everywhere. I mean, the biggest place in the world now is Nashville's gone from being the country music capital of the world to the music capital of the world. Everybody yeah. records in Nashville now. Everybody goes and lives in Nashville now. It's a great place. You, know, it, 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 you and I have been there, yeah, so I mean, we know. But it's tremendous. Is that true? It's not, just because you've two been there, don't make now the better. music capital of the world. But is that not just for... Not genre. just for no, not just for country artists. It's it's transcended Every, that. Yeah. Everything, gone, everywhere you go, is just music, music. music. Everybody Every, wants every to go recording Nashville. Music, yeah. craft work, music. <laughs> oh, maybe they've got on a country a love. Equipment. Twenty years of country love. But apparently, some of these, depending on artists, there you are as a model, and she looked real good. <laughs> but depending on artists, apparently, some of these backing musicians they can earn up to like two hundred. To four hundred dollars an hour. Yeah, wow, that is it, the elite. You're either, yeah. you're either paid as a which is a pretty, like, pretty good crack into it. Or I'm led to believe that you get paid. So let's say they'll right, we we'll book you for four hours. You could be in the studio for thirty minutes. You're still going to get paid for four hours. Mm. Yeah, because that's what they book you for. And you, uh, and these session musicians are good enough mm. to get in and get out. Get, that's what they. That's why they're good. And yeah. that's what session players are because not everybody there are still people that record in studios not everybody records on a laptop at home on cubase or whatever there's still people going studios and it's time is money mm. and they want these players and recording to get, to get studio right. time is very expensive they want, these they want to get it right not you know now not waiting 30 minutes for them to find a sound on the pedal board yeah and do yeah. x y and z this it's takes that. us back to a conversation we had on a previous podcast, and we mentioned some backing singers, one that sang on the dark side at Moon, and we never credited them with it. We never gave them a name check. We couldn't remember, could we? We couldn't no, remember because why? Remember. Why couldn't we? Because we we're stupid. Remember. The we girl that did the, track, the uh, singing on... Well, we, we, we mentioned that... Uh, the Great Gig in the great Sky by Pink That's Floyd off of the Dock Side at Moon. It was actually done Claire. by Claire Torrey. Claire Torrey. Claire Torrey. And... Uh, and the Gimme Shelter one, she's called Mary Clayton. Mary Clayton. And, and she makes that song, really. That, yeah, yeah. The vocals on that is just phenomenal. Without them vocals on them two tracks, you're right, right, you're right what you're saying, Louis. Without them two vocals on them two tracks, yeah. they are average tracks. Yeah. They, don't, they, they have they are merit in their own right, but they just transcend into another level. But like I said before, and I'm sure this is going to come up numerous times, the thing with the Rolling Stones one is that you, I've watched many live gigs and, and all the alternative versions. I've got other singers singing that part and they sing it perfectly well. It's fantastic. But they don't get that, that break in the voice. They don't yeah. get that stress in the voice where it's, it's actually at fault. Yeah. And it's the fault which makes the the vocal. It's that imperfection, that like struggle. 
which lends itself to the song so perfectly. And that's the bit where your, ha- your hair's going up in your arm. Yeah. Mm. And you can't, you can't prearrange that. No. You can't organise that. She didn't that plan it, it just happened, yeah. And that's the best bit. Yeah. So what if I give you names, people like Jack Bruce, Mick Fleetwood, Pete Green, Clapton, all back in, or you were class as backing musicians for Bluesbreakers. They were, they were, were they, were they not members with the old backing, with the old session musicians at the time? Yeah, apparently they were all down as I'm not, uh, I'm not backing exa- musicians. Yeah, but the backing musicians as such, but I'm not sure they, my point I'm trying to drive at here is that a lot of these people that you all know the names. name here started out as just a strictly session musician or a studio musician, whatever you want to call them. They're just somebody that comes in, plays a part, and goes. And goes. And then they're good at next studio and do X, Y, and Z. And they're picking up a fee wherever they're going. Yeah. But then they meet somebody and all of a sudden they go, hey, fancy yeah. forming a band. Yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones, case in point, two pivotal members of Led Zeppelin. You know, they yeah. met in studio doing a, a track for somebody. You've got Richie Blackmore. Yeah. He was a session musician. Yeah, you've got to remember that when... when Andy Fairweather Law. When Page, yeah. formed, when Page formed Led Zeppelin... He was a very wealthy man because he'd been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. He was, he got a lot of cash behind him. Don't be fooled by the knitted tank top. Well, what the, what the, <laughs> yeah. new, what the New York, the New York birds, weren't they? Well, that's what it, that's what it yeah. became afterwards. But he'd been sessioning for years and he'd been doing three gigs a day. He'd played for Tom Jones. And he'd been two of his most notable, noticeable ones are, and we're still hearing them on radio today, is uh, Tom Jones is not unusual. Mm. And, uh, a guy from our patch, Dave Berry, the crying game. Yeah. We, he does the war war part. Yeah. And I think it's one of the best war war parts I've ever heard. It, it, he did all sorts of stuff. He did a lot of Donovan stuff. He did all sorts yeah, of stuff. I'm saying two of the most recognizable ones, if you like. Yeah. And what you don't necessarily expect him to be on, especially the Tom yeah. Jones stuff. Yeah. I've got one for you, though. Right. This isn't session, guys. This is. Producers. Does the name Carl Martin Sandberg mean anything to anyone? Martin Sandberg. Uh, Carl, Carl Martin Sandberg. You can say it quicker if it what? makes it sound like you know him. <laughs> Was he a Russian revolutionary? Um, or can I say this? Uh, Max Martin, or is professionally known as? No. No. He is a Swedish record producer and songwriter, and he is responsible for such such like big nineteen nineties pop songs. Uh, Britney Spears, do do do. Let me be one more time. He did a lot of Backstreet Boy stuff. He did a lot of synth Celine Dion things. He did NSYNC things. He did loads and loads of stuff. He did a Katy Perry things, Maroon Five. He's written and co-written over twenty-five Billboard Hot One Hundred number one songs, most of which he has appeared as a, as a producer or co-producer. Um, but Martin is is a songwriter with the third most number one singles on the chart behind Paul McCartney, 32, John Lennon, 26. In addition, he is tied with George Martin. So he is third That's place record, with George though. Martin, the Swedish producer who's written songs. He also co-wrote Shake It Off by Taylor Swift, and Taylor Swift that says that she wrote it. Robert Di- bit- Diane Warren. She's been good. She's been good. What about Desmond Childs? What about Donny Osmond? He wrote all your mates' yeah. album. You know that? Good author. Uh, Alice Cooper, or AC as you like to call him. 
Poison album. Yeah. He wrote all that. He did he? Did Bon Jovi. All of it. Really? Bon Jovi. Yeah. Yeah, he's been a very busy boy, but he's got really rich, rich out of it. Oh, I would imagine he's worth a few bob. I would imagine he's worth a few bob now. Oh, yes. Let's just rewind a bit here. I, like, that's some achievement. This, this unknown guy that nobody has heard of. It's in third place with... No, it's quite a good... I'm sorry, Louis. It is quite a good George fight. George Martin. Because he's... He must have... Uh, he must have been very... Well, he is very prolific. He's still at it. It's... Right, how many songs did George Martin write? Well, it, I, I don't know, but George Martin is tied third place with him. And on the only two people As, ahead of him... On what? The only... Th Produ uh, production. Uh, number one... Uh, billboard hits and the, and production the only, and the only yeah is a is a producer slash co writer the uh, songwriter and the only people ahead of him are Paul McCartney and John Lennon mm. and then George Martin obviously is a famous you'd like to be first person, person yeah that's well, some good company to be in. but nobody well, knows no, who yes. yeah. you know if you're bringing up the rear he's the man uh, to call then is he he's bringing up the rear of McCartney and Lemon you want to be very careful you come up with some great double entendres tonight purposely <laughs> no, I don't think so <laughs> anyway. Some people will ask, why are session musicians needed? Why don't a band go in the studio? You've got a band, they go in the studio. It's a good question, actually. You know, we've, got, we've wrote an album. We're going to go in the studio. We're going to record it. Why are session musicians required? Because sometimes the band don't know actually what they're doing. Sometimes the band can't play what they've wrote. They don't know music a lot of the time, do they? And again, it goes back to the time is money thing. When you've got, you know, when studio time's racking up and it's X amount of pounds per hour and the drummer can't get the vibe or the bass player can't get the vibe or the guitarist can't play the solo right, you get a session player in to do it. Yeah. And he can do it in one take. There you go. The yeah. likes of, that's going back to the likes of Lukather again. Well, that's just saved. Yeah. A lot I don't know, twenty or thirty grams. That's why they fetched them in. Yeah. So there's a rumor going around that there's a woman. They knew they could come in. They could but get there, the vibe straight away. There are a lot of bands that go out and do a, a world tour, and they're there on stage, four of them or five of them. And the last album, some members of that band haven't played a note. Yeah. On that album, because it's all been done by session musicians. There's a female artist called Ashanti who had like a few minor hits in the noughties. Um, and there's a lot of speculation and talk about that. She, and, and actually she said it on the inside that she did the vocals for some of Jennifer Lopez's hits because Jennifer Lopez just couldn't sing it. Yeah. So she sang in the style of Jennifer Lopez and that's what was actually published. So she's singing as Jennifer Lopez and she, but the thing is she doesn't get credited for it. But the, uh, these session guitarists, guitarists, uh, specifically, you know, a producer has said, just give me something in the style of, and they can whip it up. Yeah. I tell you what would surprise me, who was an actual session player for Stones. And I, and I, unfortunately, I can't go too deep into what he did or what he did it on, but he's one of my favourite players. And and that's Ryland Peter. I don't know. Ryland Peter, you do know Ryland Peter. Okay. He's played... Actually, he's, he's more well-known for his solo stuff. But going back to John's point earlier, he developed, he's been since, he's developed his style uh, during his solo career and in front of that and in that, he became quite sought after. And that's Ryland Peter Kuda.
Ah, oh. Rykuda, yeah, commonly known as Rykuda. Yes, yeah. Glass eye. Oh, oh, glass eye. Yeah, I never knew that. <laughs> <laughs> Just blew my mind. One eyed Kuda. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff at Stones. He did a lot of stuff for Taj Mahal, John Lee Hooker, Gordon Lightfoot of all people. Eric Clapton, he played a lot for Eric Clapton. Uh, Doobie Brothers, Van Morrison, New York. The list goes literally on and on and on and on. Very much in-demand player because he was got a, a particularly gift with the old slide business. But he is a multi-instrumentalist. Just, he, just, he doesn't only do the slide. And I don't know how you want to take this because this is always really a bit contentious, but the Rolling Stones did a, a poll and in the top 100 guitar players of all time, where do you think Ry Cooder came? I'm going to go to John first. I'm going to guess he came way below where he should have come, but uh, I can't put a figure on it. Go on, put a figure on it. Uh, I'm, going to pick, I'm going to ask other two for 35. a figure. 35. And when? Top four. Top four? That's ambitious. It is. But I'm just going on what you've just been saying about him already okay, been top, working with him. Top four. So what are you saying? One, two, three, four? Yeah, top four. No, one, two, three or four. Third. Well, I don't know. It's difficult because I know that he, well, Mick Jagger appeared on a song with Rykuda called Memo from Turner, which is really quite good. Mick Jagger writes some good lyrics with that. Um, and what we're saying out of ten... No, out of what top 100? Oh, Ry Kuda. Uh Today. Number two. Number two? No. He's ranked number two for them Hold on. Oh, it's getting ridiculous. Six. Okay, I want to say. He was ranked in a poll by Rolling Stones magazine. Oh, the Rolling oh, Stone magazine. Oh, magazine. I oh, think come on. Oh, this no. is a publication that I... Oh, no, you, you said Rolling Stones. No, no, if, no, the Rolling Stones magazine. You didn't say magazine. Right, okay, this changes the game completely. Oh, so we're all sat here folding his arm down, looking at me, checking his head. I heard it with my headphones. Oh, well, I don't think in the head it will hear that. From which, oh, so I can say, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to tell you that he was ranked I'll num number there. eight. Eight. The eighth best guitarist of all time. No, I, I, I think I, it's very contentious, that. It is, because... change it each year. Which is right, called is good. All all them yeah. lists are very, very... Mm, I was, yeah, I was only one I said two. It's nice to think that it, it would be thought of that way, but unfortunately, I don't if think it was it slide, is. If it was slide guitarist, you could understand it. If it, yeah, if we just well, prickly. If, if, if it were guitar, you got, you got your sunny Derek Troop. The thing is, they bring these charts out each year, whether it be singers or, or musicians or whatever, and it changes every time. It it's, does. It's all part of whatever the flavour of the month is. It, it's who's compiling it as well. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of cobblers. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I wish I'd never said anything now. Can I just. <laughs> my favourite guitarist at the moment. Really? I don't know whether I've is, to you. Fry Cooder. No, no, no. I don't know whether I've spoke to you about it, Jeff. He's a session player. Okay. He's gone out and does some live work with Joe Walsh, Tom Petty, John Fogarty. Is that him that plays for uh, uh, all the vampires? vampires? No, yeah. no, no. Yeah. And he also was a former uh, a member who formed one of your favourite bands, Jeff. Okay. Or a band that you very much like. Steps. You've got me now. Trigger Hippie. Oh, yeah. There's a guy called Tom Bulkovac. Yeah, great. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's a Nashville... Uh, session music and you're probably regarded as Nashville's go-to guy at minute because he can do everything 
and I'm just going to do a shameless plug here. Go on YouTube and watch his channel. It's called Homeschooling. We're up to about 260 episodes, all filmed just on an iPhone. Watch and listen. This guy's incredible. And he's got a good drummer. Yes, Steve Gum. He's great. Yeah. But Tom Bulkovic formed that band. He's a man, with, isn't he? With John Osborne and Steve Gorman. But he's, isn't he the most sought after session musician in, in Nashville, Nashville at the moment? He's yeah. immortal. Yeah. Yeah. And he's an incredible player. And he's the reason why he's my favourite guitarist at the minute. He's not just uh, a one trick pony, he can do any, any style you want. He's been doing a lot of stuff. We Dave, you know Dave Stewart from Eurythmics. Yeah. He's been out there, been living in Nashville for. Oh, right. know, he's been still married to Marcella Detroit. I never knew he married her. Yeah, married to Marcella Detroit from no. uh, Shakespeare's sister. Yeah, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. But he's been doing a lot of stuff with him. He, you know, he plays with everybody. Uh, go on, go on, see. Have you, have you listened to uh, Trick AP? Yeah, yeah, they're good, aren't they? Purely through him, though. Oh yeah, I would. Right. I'd probably have let him go by if mm. if Tom Booker back on to recommended him. I think I think my favourite track to do it, I think it's called The Door. I think it's the great band. Tremendous band. That lovely shuffle thing he does on, on drums, I love that. Yeah. But I have said before, I like a tight snare. It has been said. Apparently so. I tell you one and I didn't know at the time that he were a session player. And this goes right back to the early days. And there was a particular song that I was, oh, I thought it was just amazing. I thought it, was just, it just opened up all these different doors of inspiration to me. And I just, I never realised how good it were. And, uh, and it came out in 1976. And it was, it was featuring a talk box. And, and, and it wasn't till later. And I always thought it was one other guitarist, but it wasn't. It turned out to be this other one. I always thought it was Larry Carlton that did it, but it weren't. It was Dean Parks. Dean Parks, tremendous. And you know what I'm talking about, which, which song I'm talking about here, don't you? Tremendous. Uh, I mean, you've got Dean Parks, you're on about uh, Steely Dan, Asian Divorce. Correct. But and, Steely and, Dan and had a roster of session players, Larry Carlton, yeah. Dean Parks, you got Jeff Skunk Baxter. Yeah. He just released a new album this year. Have you heard it? I thought he passed away. No, it's gone. No, released no album this year. But they just had a, a revolving door of incredible session players. But actually, they, they, they were another band that was just formed through session players, apart from Walter Becker and Donald Fagan. Yeah, they were just a. They a, were all ensemble of. They were the only players. two that were the, the the main core of it. Everybody yeah. else were just hired hands, weren't they? Yeah. What's the biggest band that are uh, primarily session players? Toto. Really? Yeah, they were all, that's all they were. Right. They were all LA's finest at everything. Lukather on guitar, David Page on keys, the Picardo brothers on bass and drums, respectively. But oh. they all came from musical backgrounds. David Page's dad were a award-winning film scorer. Lukather's dad were, he were into film business. Picaro, the Picaro brothers, his father, were just, they were all geniuses. They were all sort of prodigies of of their parents, if yeah. if you will. So they were they were destined, destined to go into business. They had that advantage, didn't they? Well, they certainly got a leg up, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, they took it from 
there and ran with it. What else you got, John? Michael Jackson beat it, yeah? We all know it, don't we? The solo oh, right. was done in, in 10 minutes yeah. by Eddie Van Halen, who took no payment. I know, yeah. Absolutely zero payment. Did two, listened to it, asked if he could change a few bits, did it, took no payment, walked. Michael, Ma- Michael Jackson actually said, yeah, I prefer that to mine. did. Michael Jackson. Thank, thank you for uh, yeah. not just coming in and blazing a solo. Yeah. Well, Michael Jackson actually went for his lunch when Eddie Van Halen was doing it. So he went, okay, fine. And he went out, for some, went out to get some lunch. He came well, back and Matt Van Halen had done it. And he's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And well, yeah, bring bubbles, bubbles, bubbles in with him. Bring bubbles in, bubbles. <laughs> well, effectively, McDonald's. But <laughs> online, when people watch the Beat It video, that's my little fact about it. I mean, that's a great fact about Ed Van Halen. Now, which video is this that you're beating it to? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, you, beat, the, you beat it to Michael Jackson. The comments, the, this is an American audience, I assume, but the comments are Have you noticed in the music video for Beat It that the pool table has no holes? There's no chalk. <laughs> As no holes. Oh right, okay. <laughs> but heaven forbid, no chalk. <laughs> it's because it's a billiards table, and they don't know anything about billiards. Okay. Uh, but yeah, there's no, I, there are no holes. No chalk, but uh, no chalk. But he's throwing the ball around on the table, isn't he? Like he dances around the table, he throws the ball around, but there's no holes in the table. And some of the people think it's like some sort of weird conspiracy. But it's not, it's just, it's brilliant. Secret cover. message then, is it? But yeah, Eddie Van Halen just rocked up, smashed it out, and uh minutes in, out. It took no payment. I think I, it's probably the most famous session piece of all time. Though. Oh, absolutely, it's amazing. Well, it, it, it's certainly up there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's got to be. Yeah. For a guy to walk in, uh, can I just alter this, can I alter that? Boop, 10 minutes, I'm gone. Oh, yeah. Amongst people that, uh, like ourselves, I'm going to, group us into this that, that talk about music and listen to music and are avid fans of it when we talk about stuff like uh, well it's like we're doing session players and they get to that bit that famous bit we, we knew we'd inevitably get to with eddie van halen's bit it is the bit isn't it yeah it's the part in the song that everybody's waiting for i think now but, but that is that purely because it's so it's in our consciousness that we know we're waiting for that song. Go on, Eddie. Go on. It's such yeah. an unusual song, solo, just, though. It's just a vehicle for that solo, isn't it? It's it's got like a growl about like a tiger, like you know, with, with the, the whammy bar bend, it raises up something. Yeah. yeah, and that yeah. that last note when it goes, yeah, gone. But also, let's let's not forget how um, shocking that must have been because primarily Michael Jackson's been known as a R and B soul singer. Yeah, this one. Jackson Five, and then suddenly he was like trying to merge in ever so softly into uh, into rock music. You know, he, he did um, later on. He, he did come together. He did all sorts of stuff. He went rocky. He went with, with Slash. But in it, like the Eddie Van Halen thing, that was like really the the first step into his rock era. But I think it it was said that he always quite liked rock music, and yeah. he wanted to. Uh, you know, so amalgamate the two. But he did, it, he did it again twice successfully. The following one was with Steve Stevens on uh, Dirty Diana, was it? Dirty Diana. And then he did it again with Slash on Give It To Me. What was the famous female yeah. guitarist she had playing for him? Jennifer Batten. Yeah. But she didn't do a bad job. Going back to Beat It, though, the, like, the American audiences aren't as flexible as UK. Going back to the point about how 
Mountain High, River Deep by Tina Turner and I was rejected by the black audiences and it was rejected by the white audience because it was either too black or it's too white for them. But in the UK, it was, it was a great success. How, how did that, that no, we? it never came into our consciousness. I mean, I, I wasn't even born then, but how would that have been perceived in America? How would Michael Jackson being in, suddenly dipping his toe with this massive solo, which was predominantly a, a white genre, rock and roll, or rock music with Eddie Van Halen, this new like wave of, of, of pop rock. Yeah, I see where you're going with that. How would that have been perceived? Yeah. How was it like, in America? Was it like stepping over the boundary there? It's it's so unexpected. Yeah, it is. I'm not sure yeah. there were a boundary step to him. I, I think, uh, I mean, Van Halen. Well, it dipped his toe into another pool, didn't it? Name another black artist the, that was not that really that expected. Well, Lionel Richie had done it, I think, I'm not sure it were prior to, he'd had Steve Luca to play on Running With The Night. And I'm not sure it were prior to Beat It, because I think Beat It were 82, were it? Got right. to be somewhere around 82. And I think... Lionel Richard had Luca to play on Running With The Night, blazing solo at the end of that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm not sure whether it were before or around about the same time. So I think there were a movement at that time to to try and get the two... Fusing together. You know, ingrained in each other. Do you know that... I wonder who was responsible for that. Was it to, um, Jackson's producer? Did, what I are think you doing? Quincy Jones. Quincy what are you doing, Lionel Richard, as well? <laughs> I don't mean that in... You know, I'm not privy to that sort of information, but uh, I know you've got a vast collection of photographs. But if you haven't got that one in there, but if you're putting it out there on internet, then <laughs> Lionel Richie, did you know that Lionel Richie initially planned to pursue a career in tennis over music? Well, having watched him on that concert of the week, he ought to have done. <laughs> do you know he's the same age as, as King Charles? Who else was pursuing a career in tennis? Uh, uh, the Williams sisters. Uh, in the music, I don't know. Did they do that? I'm so excited. Yeah. But uh, he got a scholarship for tennis. Right. Lionel Richard got a scholarship for tennis. He was going. He was going to. Yeah, he was, he was genuinely going to pursue it. I just thought that like a whim. No, no, he was a serious tennis player. Oh right. Um, and do you know that Eddie Van Halen? He was originally trained as a classical pianist. He was, yes, from a very early age. And can you tell me what the first name for Van Halen was going to be? Mammoth. Well, the first. The, well, the, the name was Mammoth. Well, the first, the first name one. they had when they were at school, they was called Broken Combs. Well done. That's and they were really stringed in, string like a string quartet, aren't they? It's Broken Combs, yeah. Yeah. But they came over from, they were born in Amsterdam. He was. And the boards of Amsterdam. There's a sailor. Yeah, hello. That's, that's not going And moved to USA in 1962. And they paid him and his brother. Alex. Alex. They helped the father, Jan, who was a jazz musician, paid their fare from Holland to USA by helping him out on the cruise liner playing the oh, jazz. Oh, they got over here? They came over on cruise liner. Yeah. But he, uh, Eddie and Alex, he'd play drums and Jan Van Halen, father, were a clarinetist. Right, yeah. So they'd go and Eddie, of course, would have... I know there was some period where they swapped instruments, weren't there? Yeah. Well, they, that, I think that when they got to the States, but... During the crossing from Holland to USA, they'd help the dad, Eddie on piano, Alex on drums, Jan playing uh, clarinet. So they helped pay their... Trouble is with that, that don't work very well on the... John just mimed the clarinet, <laughs> but it looked like he was tickling the tits of a hamster. <laughs> oh, Do my, we know... Oh, what the... big hamster that. But did, did they become Van Halen only when Dave, Dave Lee Ross joined? Yes. They did, didn't they? Yes, they were did mammoth. Yeah. Uh, 
which is his son's Wolfgang's name of his band. Yeah, uh, Who produced the demo tape? Gene Simmons. Correct. He did. Yeah. yeah, he signed them up, didn't he? No, he didn't sign them up. Oh, he, he, he gave them, them to studio them. time in Electric Lady Studios yeah. in New York. It's the open, they opened up for Kiss. But it was uh, Paul Stanley and Bill O'Conn, Kiss's manager, who told Gene Simmons to drop them because they would take too much of Gene Simmons' time up and they were focused on Kiss. So he did. So one good thing that Gene Simmons has done. And the following year, they got a record contract from Warner Brothers. And the rest is history, as they say. Well, it is, yeah. I mean, they went on for, to be certainly one of the biggest bands US has ever seen. Hard rock band. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And uh, history happened to be a Michael Jackson tour. It all comes it around. Yeah. Yep. Yes. But uh, personally, I mean, so everything else settled. So the guitarist in Kiss was used to be Ace Friendly. Ace Friendly. But they've had... Uh, yeah. Well, when he when he left, it was Simmons that talked him out of joining Kiss. Rumor has it that Eddie were going to uh, audition for Kiss. I don't personally don't believe that. I think again that's an urban myth. I can't ever imagine Eddie Van Halen putting all that makeup on, doing all that schmaltz. It, I, just, I just can't. He didn't like the the fact that Dave Lee Roth wanted to do dance music, so I can't see him doing makeup. But the thing about it's, it's, it's it's plausible, but I don't think it's... it's... I, don't think... I mean, Eddie ploughed his own furrow, and this is why I love him so much. And it goes, again, it ties in with one of your previous episodes about icons. Now, for me, Eddie Van Halen is an iconic guitar player. He's also got an iconic look. He's got an iconic guitar. Everybody recognises that. Didn't he create a guitar He's got a... Frankenstein or something? Frankenstrat. He's got an iconic sound. So... Technique. Uh, iconic technique, which he can't claim to have invented because people had done it before. But he brought it to the mainstream. He Didn't he grow to hate it as well? It, it grew to dislike it and called it a... a uh, Maybe it become an albatross around his he, neck. He yeah. said to somebody who, who was playing with, or somebody who was playing, learning to play guitar, and somebody, and somebody sort of tapping to impress him, and he said something like, never mind that crap, actually play a guitar. Maybe. Yeah, because it, it became a bit of an issue for him. Yeah, it did, because I had I read something that you were talking to a, a journalist about, and it were like there were like private conversations between between emails between each other. And he said that, he says, do you ever regret anything? And he says, no, I don't, because life's for moving on, life's for changing. And he says, but the, if, if I could change anything, I would change the fact I, I would not have the first drink and I would stick to piano. Yeah, I can believe that. But in the, in the early days, when there were a big noise on uh, Sunset Strip, yeah, playing Whiskey A Go Go and you know all these legendary bars, it would Dave Lee Roth would encourage him to turn round when he soloed, so nobody could see what he was doing. Yeah, because everybody thought, Jesus Christ, what's this guy doing? We can hear all these notes coming out, but how is he doing it? Because wasn't his first guitar, uh, Talisio Del Rey, wasn't yeah. it? He first started with. But then... Talisio, you pronounce it? Yeah. Talisio. But he just took... It, it were, again, the iconic bit comes in here, how he created the Frankenstrat. He'd played Gibsons, he'd played Fenders, he'd played whatever on market. Didn't he build that himself? 
Yeah, but they didn't quite do what he wanted it to do. So he starts ripping things to pieces, mm. as most mad scientists do. He would do that with his amplifiers. With the Variac, we'd set it at a different voltage, which, I mean, he was to blow up every night, but he said it sounded better at a certain voltage. Now, we all know US run on 110. Obviously. We run on 240 over here. Yeah. But the, he'd, he'd lower the voltage of his amps to 90. Lad. And it said it sounded better. Yeah. But by end at night, it'd be blown up. Yeah. So we were constantly replacing that. But he built the Frankenstrat because it did what he wanted it to do. Mm. What Fender couldn't do, what Ibanez couldn't do. Because what... he was playing basically off, off of the, what the car, guitar could do, not all these foot pedals on floor could do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was driving everything through guitar. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that's the way it would burn town all the time because that's how he wanted it. It was with the guitar that was making the tone. He wanted the amp to be absolutely cooking. Yeah. And guitar just, I mean, very little on floor foot pedal wise, bit of a phaser, flange or whatever. But again, it, so we, we've got, he's created this iconic guitar. Everybody knows it. You've only got to see it with the red and white stripes on. Yeah. You know it's Eddie Van Halen's. A bit like Brian May's, another iconic look. It's like a, um, for those of you that don't know, it's, it's, it looks a bit like a, an electrician's tape, Jackson Pollock. It does. Yeah. Yeah. yeah without a doubt. But it just did what he wanted it to do. Whereas he couldn't get, he subsequently went into deals with two or three major manufacturers and still couldn't find what he wanted. Hence, I mean, to this day, we have a, a brand called EVH. Yeah. That were, it's part of Fender's group and they produce his guitars, his amps, his pedals, everything. He has the iconic look for me. He has the iconic sound. He has the iconic guitar. He plays like nobody else ever plays because he doesn't play the recognised scales. The thing is, when he when you go up uh, sixth string, fifth string, uh, sorry, when you go up front fast string, E, Snakes. and then e. you get to B, there's a dissonance. You've got to change. Eddie Van Halen didn't. He just swept all the way, same pattern, all the way through them. And every, people, purists are going, you can't do that because that's not in that key. Mm. But then when you look at it, well, that note is in that chord, and that note is in that chord, and that note is in that chord. Lots of so borrowing he, he going on. created his own scale. Mm. Iconic, again. Was that lifting from iconic status to genius status? Or was that a, a happy accident? Uh, well, I, I, I'm going to say it might have been a, a bit of all three. I personally think he's a genius. I think, well, I think you, you can't. Legitimately calling that because but I don't it know changed the game. Happen. Hendrix changed the game. Uh, Van yeah. the crux Eddie, the Eddie changed the game. The crux of the biscuit for me, I think Eddie Van Halen is as important or maybe more important to guitar rock guitar playing today than Hendrix were. Oh, and that's a bold statement. It's a bold statement. But the amount of people he has influenced and the amount of people that have followed in his path, I think is as as important, if not more important than Henry. Now, I'm going to ask you something now, because like I've said... rock guitar. Yeah. As I've said previously, one of your talents is uh, playing guitar. Bullshit. So when you say that he's, he's a genius or is an icon at playing guitar, what makes that genius? What makes that icon? What makes them different to everybody else? Now, I, I have a theory about this, because nobody's born a natural guitar player. 
nobody's born to play guitar. Nobody's no. born to ride a, nobody's born a motorbike. To nobody's born to do anything. They just they've got natural abilities that make them compatible with that that field. And my theory is that people are born with a natural adaptation to being able to eye and coordination, rhythm, uh, technique, not technique, because that develops. Um, I think the piano has a lot to do with I it. Think, so well, uh, you started on piano, didn't you? So I think that, that helped him a lot. And he's played drums before he started guitar. So well, Hours and hours of practice is always, an, is, 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 is always a benefit. But they say that it, for a guitarist to learn more about theory, they should learn the piano because the piano is just laid out in front of them. Like the, the whole scale system there is laid out in front of them. Uh, it's easier to play the piano than it is the guitar. And once you can play right. the piano, you get you develop your ear. The piano is just linear. Yeah, so if he's developed his ear, if he was trained classically as a pianist, pianist, imagine his ear is already developed. Yeah. So transposing it transposing it to um, the guitar is a matter of dexterity. So you've got to have hand-eye coordination. You've got to have an, a dexterity within your fingers. You've got to have... I, I, I don't think that... The people just pick up a guitar and they can play. They can't. They've, no, got, no. they've got to have hours and hours and hours of practice, but they've got to have these other elements that go along with it. Am I just talking crap? No, or th just think no, like, you think you're right? No, I, I totally think you're right. But some people, as we know, or if you didn't know, both Eddie started on drums, his brother Alex started on guitar, and they both realised that each other were better on the other instrument. Yeah. So Eddie changed the guitar. And Alex changed the drums. And there, you know, yeah. there's the history from that. But, I, you know, I don't, I, how does that happen? You just see one person, well, he's picking that up quicker than I am. Well, he's picking that up quicker than I am. So let's change. It's a good mindset, that, isn't it? To just abandon and then swap, like, and, and adapt. Yeah, it's rather quite than... a healthy, creative Rather than just process. stick through it and... Knuckle down and, and be, be arrogant and, yeah. They just decided to change. I think there were quite a strong brotherhood between them, and that created one or two problems with Dave Lee Roth and Damiego. I think I felt really, I felt really stupid one day, just one day, <laughs> not not all day, just that one day. Was I was watching a clip on YouTube, and I'm I'm watching Alex and Eddie talking to some some other chap, and I'm I'm watching him. I thought it's, it must be. I can't work. I can't make. I'll, I'll, what what they're saying? What they're saying? I couldn't work out what they were saying. I thought, what, what are they on about here? It must be me that's getting it wrong. I'm not listening right. I, I don't know. And then it suddenly dawned on me, because we're so used to American artists having international uh, European names, it never dawned on me that Eddie was still speaking Dutch, because you get you get all, you get all these European. People that's just in America, it's a nation of immigrants. So, you, yeah. but he's come over from Holland, but he still speaks Dutch. And he was in an interview in a, in a in a Dutch studio speaking Dutch with his brother Alex. And I thought, what's going on here? There's something not right here. Things you think of on Hill, and you think America, eighties, abundance. Yeah, it's just eighties America, isn't it? No, it the, was still the, the, the it was ultimate, still rooted in Holland. It yeah, was still rooted. Right. The, the ultimate eighties party band. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't mean the late 80s when uh, air metal sort of took a grip. I mean, the because the first album arrived in 78 and that caused shockwaves around the world. When everybody first heard Running With The Devil, the first track of this album, and then it breaks into Eruption, second track, 
and people are going, ah, they're in LZ doing this. Everybody thought it were a keyboard. You know, what's he doing? What's this guy doing? How did so it... In 1978, you've got to realise how seismic this were. This were just, nobody had ever done this before. And they went out as a four-piece band, so brash, so rock and roll, so 100% let's party, that they just, I mean, I didn't go to concert, but they supported Sabbath, uh, Sheffield City Hall. Yeah, they did. In uh, 78. Yeah. And the app, Black Sabbath didn't want to go on stage after them. Oh, you can imagine why. And Black Sabbath were riding high then in 78. They'd been top at tree for seven or eight years. It's, it's, is it that moment they brought out the bat? And they just thought, Ozzy yeah. went, hell, give me something to chew on. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question though, right? And, and, so, this, and this, there was supporter, and this has cost something like ninety p. Well, that, yeah, I saw him in relative to the time. They were at Don Valley Stadium. They supported Bon Jovi and Little Angels were on. Stevie Van Zant and Circle of Soul, Thunder were on, and again Van Halen totally blew Bon. I never a big Bon Jovi fan at the time, but they absolutely destroyed him. They said they were special guests, not support. Because for me, Van Halen were equally as headlining as Bon Jovi at that time. But they just called them special guests. And they went on stage and absolutely destroyed them. I didn't want to watch Bon Jovi after that. Did you stay and watch Bon Jovi? Yes. There we go. When uh, you're talking about Eddie Van Halen being up there with Jim Hendrix, the problem that the problem that surrounds Van Halen is they're, they're of a time capsule. So the, the tapping is almost frowned upon now. I'm not on about Van Halen as a band. I'm on about Eddie, Eddie as a person, how many people he influenced. Oh, right. Imagine yeah. Hendrix, how many people he influenced. Yeah. I think personally, and I think history will back me up on this, Edward Van Halen. History? What do you think? Shite. Who? I think Edward Van Halen influenced as many, if not more people, to play electric guitar than Hendrix did. It's a big, a big, it's a big statement. Big, that. It's a bold statement. It's a big, 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 big statement. It's, you've got Hendrix, then Eddie comes along, who's the next one? Chumba Wumba. And what we'd like to know is what you what you think. Do you agree with John? Do you disagree with John? Do you agree Do with Louis that Chumba Wumba came along and they, uh, ruined, they, ruined Van Halen? The thing is with Chumba Wumba, right? What a lot of people don't understand is... And knocked John Prescott they over. They get knocked down, but they get up again. Exactly. A bit like we will wobbles, but we can't fall down. Always get up again. And on that note... Good night. <laughs>